Hey, Fixers. We've got a special treat for you this week. Students from the University of Oregon's Clark Honors College will be joining us as guest hosts to interview luminaries from around the state of Oregon who are working on innovative fixes in our state. Without further ado, here's the episode. Welcome, everybody, to our Fix It podcast. I'm one of the guest podcasters, and my name is McCall Delaney, a Chinese major at the University of Oregon. And my name is Lolly. I have a planning, public policy, and management major here at the University of Oregon. If you like what you hear, make sure to give us a five-star rating and a review. We are trying to tackle a very important and complex issue that significantly affects all Oregonians. The issue that we are talking about today is the mismanagement of the Oregonian Retirement Fund. And we have an amazing guest with us today named Alan Alley who is a seasoned entrepreneur and investor who looks to create opportunities for the next generation. With 30 plus years of leading multiple successful companies and is the co-founder of Lake Oswego's Obsidian Opportunity Capital Investment Firm, which he currently works for. He also ran for Oregon Treasurer in 2008, gained a historic amount of votes for Republican in Oregon, and then continued to run for Oregon Governor in 2010. So, as I said, we know you've done extensive research in the public employee retirement system liability issue in the Oregon State budget, but our podcast audience might not know exactly what this is. So we just wanted to ask first, in just a few sentences, how would you, how might you explain this problem to a middle schooler? Well, it's incredibly complex, and that's part of the problem whether you're explaining it to a middle schooler, whether you're explaining it to a taxpayer, um, even if you're explaining it to a retiree, I, I think many of the retirees don't completely understand the benefit that they're going to receive. But the fundamental issue is there are two types of, repi- of primary retirement systems. One where you fund it today, you set money aside today, And then you invest that money. And then in the future, the retiree gets that money plus all the benefit of their investments. That's called a defined contribution plan. You're defining the amount you contribute to the plan. The other type of plan is called a defined benefit plan. And that's what the Oregon Public Employee Retirement System largely is. And that's where the state or the... uh, the employer, the government, makes a promise to you that I am going to pay you a certain percentage of your salary in the future when you retire based on the number of years that you've worked and based on the size of your salary. But they are not obligated to set the money aside at the time that they make that promise. So they make a promise, but they're not obligated to fund the promise. And in government, there's lots of priorities, lots of people want different things. And it's easy to, you know, kick the can down the road and to say, well, we'll we'll fund it next year or the following year, there's going to be a bonus or the federal government's going to give us some money or something. And what's happened over time is this has grown to be an extraordinarily large liability and we haven't set the money aside to fully fund it. That's that's the essence of the problem. Well, yeah, thank you so much. I mean, they, uh, they, thank you for uh, 
trying your best. I think a middle schooler would definitely understand that. So, so we, we know there's this big issue, um, kind of kicking the can down the road. Right. Um, but behind the scenes of the, like the operations of the, of the Oregon government, uh, what do you think the root of the issue is besides, I don't know, is it just oversight incompetence? Is it not taxing enough? Um, it's a, it's a variety of things. I think it's the structure of an elected government official that is being asked to set money aside for constituents who will receive it, not only after this elected government official is out of office, but they're probably dead. So it's, it's this fundamental, you know, oxymoron, so to speak, where government officials, when you get hired, when you get elected, you do things and you show benefit. You build a road, you build a bridge, you fund a school, you, you know, buy new computers for people or whatever. And, and that's tangible results that you, that you can say, see, I did that. In fact, I call it an, an edifice complex that government officials like to build stuff because they can show and they can cut ribbons and things. Getting elected and saying, I'm going to cut your current programs. I am going to raise your taxes so that I can pay for a liability that is going to occur in 20 years is fundamentally something that they can't. It's like in their DNA, they can't do it. I don't really even expect them to do it. But the, but the fundamental model is completely shattered, completely broken. And that's why I think we have to we have to we have to realize that we have the problem, cut up the credit card, so to speak, to stop doing what we're doing, and then start putting money aside to fund the problem and come up with a new retirement system for new hires, for the new people that we hire in. Interesting. So just moving on to the next question. Um, You've mentioned a couple solutions to like cutting up the credit card and yeah, you know, stop hiring people. Yeah, um, but in your articles, um, you mentioned just meant like generally to stop the increase of liability, transition to a program that's fully funded each year instead of way down the line. Right. Uh, enact things like the Oregon Peace Corps and generally have like a retirement fund work like a four hundred one k. Right. Um, so yeah, you outline these solutions pretty extensively. Um, and it's kind of a two-part question. So bear with us. Sure. Uh, what would you say the most critical solution out of these lists are? Like if you were to tell politicians to do one of these things tomorrow right. um, and prioritize it, what would it be? It's the most untenable one. And it's the one that's gonna be most difficult for them. And that is to switch all new employees and only new employees, only new hires to a defined contribution plan, a 401k type plan. And the reason why that's so important is we stop the growth of the liability. And by definition, because it's a defined contribution, because you, you give the money today, we stop the growth of the liability. You almost can't solve this problem without doing that. That's also the hardest one for politicians to do, and specifically Democratic politicians, because 
they are largely supported by the public employee unions. And this is a big deal for the public employee unions. Mm -hmm. um, that, that by far is the, is the number one thing that you have to do. Um, some of the other solutions that I've talked about are actually me trying to come up with really new ideas that sort of push the edges of the envelope to have people consider things that they've never considered before. And I'm not saying that my solutions are perfect or the right solutions, but instead of considering a little box of solutions, I wanted to expand it out to things that people haven't talked about before. Um, yeah. Like, like the, uh, the Oregon Peace Corps, you know, that's, so one of the problems is you're hiring people and they start accruing retirement benefits right off the bat. The Oregon Peace Corps idea is you hire people right out of high school, um, they work and instead of accruing a retirement benefit, what they accrue is education benefits. And you'd have to work out how much education benefit you get for how, how much time worked. But let's say it's just a year for a year. You work for a year, you get a year at any Oregon university, fully paid. Tuition, books, room, board, lodging, whatever. It's, it's an unbelievably lucrative benefit, right? But you're having people doing jobs that otherwise would have people that are accruing these retirement benefits, which last for 60, 70, 80 years. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a way of getting kids a more affordable education getting them experience in government, which I think would be a really, really good thing, getting them to understand sort of how the government works, they could re-enter government in the future, and then they would get a retirement benefit when they re-entered after, after college. But it's a way of, of sort of expanding the boundary box of the potential solutions, because I feel yeah. like there's not much creativity sort of going into this, trying to figure out how are we going to solve the issue? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a perfect segue into my, the second part of the question. It's more thinking about, you know, expanding the box of thought, you know, of, of solutions to this problem. Um, and so given your uh, adamant support of the free market and things along those lines, what would be your utopian uh, free market replacement or free market solution of the current retirement system in Oregon? Well, it, that's, a, that's a fabulous question. Um, when I ran for state treasurer and I would go out and knock doors and talk to people, uh, the PERS problem was sort of front and center. It was 2008. It was right in the middle of the financial meltdown. Mm -hmm. They were losing something like um, $275,000 a minute was the, wow. the loss of the fund. And what I found out was people didn't begrudge uh, people for having PERS retirement. It, it wasn't like people in the private sector thought teachers were getting a benefit that they shouldn't have. The people in the private sector were saying, well, I should get that benefit too. And my initial reaction was, well, that's just crazy talk. There's no way <laughs> you're just going to make the problem much, much worse by including more people. And then I said, well, wait a minute. My customers, 
the people, they're asking me for a solution that gives them the same kind of benefit. Mm. And it's up to me to try to figure out how to do that, right? Not just dismiss it. So the other concept that's a, a real box expander is this um, PERS bond. It's like a war bond. Back in the back right. during World War II, they sold bonds to support the government. Well, this war is effort. Yes, this is a bond that you'd buy that would support PERS. And the way it works is the public employee retirement system uh, average annual return over the last 30 years or so, it's about 7.4% compounded, which is a great return. They've done a good job managing the money. Um, you could say to people, buy these bonds, we will pay you 5% double tax free. So no federal tax, no state tax. Nice. And the spread between the 5% that we pay you and the 2.4% that is the uh, difference between 7.4 and 5, that helps pay down the PERS liability for all of the current retirees. So if you're somebody that's worked in the private sector and you want a secure government-backed retirement plan, basically a guaranteed 5% interest that's backed by the by the by the bank book of the state of Oregon, um, you buy these bonds. And that way, people that have worked in the private sector sort of get a benefit. And people that are in the public sector get a tremendous benefit because the people in the private sector are underwriting the liability. And what that does is it starts to take more people and combine them together to support a solution. So we're building a coalition that has a benefit of this solution. And I, I actually think it could work. It's not easy. There's some legal hoops that we'd have to jump through to make it work. But I think it would be well worth the, the trouble to do that. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a, a perfect, uh, like you're, you're walking on the rope of private sector and public sector and trying to find a, the best solution for both of them. Yeah. But also work finding a way for them to work together. Well, the crazy thing, I mean, there's so many crazy things, but one of the craziest things <laughs> is the PERS retirement funds are completely invested in the public sector, in the private sector. They're all in, and they're in the most aggressive, the most exotic, the most cutting edge financial instruments that are out there. They're not sitting in CDs. You can't make 7.4% compounded over that time. They're in venture funds. They're in private equity. They're in real estate. They're in REITs. They're in the most exotic financial instruments that you can possibly create because you have to generate this return that's beating the market. You have to get this extraordinary return. Mm -hmm. So... <laughs> So the retirement benefit of every public employee is completely dependent upon the performance of the most aggressive financial instruments in the private sector. And I don't think people quite realize that and understand that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's a, it sounds like it should work, you know? 
Yeah, it should. I mean, this is completely different than Social Security, because what happened at the federal level with Social Security is they used to have money. They actually had a Social Security fund and they'd steal from it (laughs) and it dropped over time and it became underfunded. And finally, they just said, the heck with it. We'll just print money. Doesn't matter. We'll just print it. The state can't print it. We don't have that. We don't have that option. We don't have the bottomless bank. Nope. Just like the Federal Reserve does. Well, yeah. we'll and we'll find out how bottomless the federal bank uh-huh. is. Right? <laughs> As you said, money doesn't grow on trees. <laughs> well, it has for the past several years, hasn't it? <laughs> You're in Oregon. I actually had a friend that worked at the Federal Reserve, and he said, Alan, when they increase the money supply, there's literally like this little machine that two people walk over to with two keys, and it's like the nuclear launch codes, and they flip one key, and they flip the other key, and they dial in, you know, $30 billion or whatever it is, and they press a button, and $30 billion just goes whoop into the Federal Reserve System. Wow. Right. And people think and people think Bitcoin is, you know, uh, a a phantom currency. There's actually in in a really crazy way, there's actually more underlying cost of goods or, you know, to a Bitcoin than there is to the U.S. dollar, Mm -hmm. which is Mm -hmm. mind boggling, but true. No, I'm I'm 100 percent there with you. It's like you start getting into questions of what is value what what is value is your dollar valuable because the federal reserve says so or is it bitcoin valuable because blockchain technology you know well we'll, we'll see we'll see with in the, the next bitcoin, couple years there actually is it, it costs money it costs dollars or yen uh or yuan to make a bitcoin because it requires energy and you right. have to pay for the energy to make the coin so there actually is a cost of goods associated with it, just like there's actually a cost of goods associated with gold. The thing that right. makes gold valuable is somebody had to go out and find it and mine it and refine it and purify it. And, and, and then there's cost associated with it, right? Mm-hmm. And then the value is, is a delta off that cost. With there's Bitcoin, a limited there supply. Is a cost. Right. There's limited supply, right? Yeah. Right. Awesome. Yeah. To summarize some key points, you've shared some great out-of-the-box ideas to prevent this looming retirement fund doomsday, from stopping the commitment to new state government hires, to uniting the public and private sectors with PERS bonds, and something that's especially intriguing for me, the Oregon Peace Corps. I personally feel like a lot of my friends would be really interested in that. It's a great experience. And so there's ways that these solutions just tackle a bunch of different issues at once also. So, and I think it's really important to talk about retirement right now um, because we do have an aging population, I've heard. And (laughs) (laughs) um, I can attest to that. (laughs) Right, right. Um, And it's it's something that we really need to prepare for and make sure we're making smart decisions with that. Well, thank you for your patience and and giving me the opportunity to talk about it. It's it's something that I've spent a a lot of time working on. I think it's very, very important, and I'm thrilled to see people in your position that are spending the time to begin to understand it, because frankly, it's your liability. It's, right. not, it's not mine. 
<laughs> and you have to be the ones that begin to understand it. And you have to be the ones that implement the solutions because right. it's really your liability. And unfortunately, it's a liability that my generation created and is handing to you. Nice. <laughs> I love the hopeful message. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you can we solve got it. Perfect time. Perfect time. <laughs> you guys can solve it. It's uh, it's not it's not the hardest problem that I've ever faced. You know, there's lots and lots harder problems in business that I've faced. This one actually yeah. has solutions, right? They're actually there's there are ways to fix this. It might be a little painful, but yeah. there are ways to fix it. And now it is. It's more about the political will. I feel. Yeah, yeah, and that's your generation can can stand up and say, "Look, we we understand what you guys have done to us. We understand yeah. what the liability is. We have to fix it, and we want to fix it before you're gone. And with all your money, you're gone, yeah. right?" Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. This is a very uh, valuable conversation. Great. Yeah. It was nice meeting you, Alan. Thanks, guys. And that concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast was done in the Clark Honors College at the University of Oregon for our Bridging the Public Divide, Translation, Argument, and Democratic Deliberation in Oregon. A special thanks to Professor Frank for helping us to become better speakers and writers. And a special thanks for Kevin and Ashant for helping us through the podcast conversation and editing process. Thank you again to our listeners for sticking through, and I hope you can walk away with a little bit more knowledge about Oregon's retirement process and a possible solution. <laughs>